Hello and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Vita Glow, Anna Lay. Vita Glow is the number one marine collagen brand in the world, with one unit sold every four seconds. Now, this in mind, I was genuinely blown away by how much truly tangible business advice Anna shared in this conversation. Anna doesn't hold her cards close to her chest from sharing the brand's Shopify launch strategy, what goes into developing packaging and sourcing ingredients, how many products Vita Glow have discontinued, and of course the rationale behind the brand's 2021 rebrand. Anna sincerely believes that the increasing saturation of the ingestible beauty market is only going to push the category forward. And honestly, it was refreshing to hear. Anna and her husband, Kieran, launched Vita Glow in 2014 after years of importing collagen for herself from Japan, having experienced hair loss due to a blood clotting condition, which she opened up about in our chat. Realising that making the ingredient accessible here in Australia could have a positive impact on so many people, the first iteration of VitaGlow was born. The range has extended well beyond collagen, despite that remaining really the cornerstone of the brand. And just last week saw the launch of Women's Health, a range of four supplements formulated specifically for women in response to the fact that only 1% of global healthcare research and innovation is invested into female-specific conditions beyond oncology. In this conversation, which we recorded a couple of months ago, not long before Anna gave birth to her fourth child, Anna shares the power of a rebrand and the strategy that went into Vita Glows, what to look for when purchasing ingestible beauty supplements, and the million-dollar question, what collagen actually is and what it can do. You were born in Brazil. Your parents brought your family here to Australia around 1994. So let's start right at the very beginning. What is your earliest memory of beauty? Oh, look, I think like most beauty founders probably my earliest memory of beauty was watching my mum get ready you know I think I don't have a huge affiliation with Brazil because I'd moved here when I was Mm. six years old and I've only been back twice although I do have family uh, who are still there I feel very Australian I was raised here I was educated here Uh, I did all my schooling everything so I feel I feel like I'm more Australian than I am Brazilian but you know, beauty is a huge part of Brazilian culture. And I think having a Brazilian mum to to this day, like if I leave my house and my nails chipped, she'd still be like, you're not going out with your nails chipped, are you? Or like, did you do your, because I didn't do my hair for you today, Gemma, I have to say, I know you're seeing me on video, but she was like, (laughs) you're filming a podcast. Don't you think you should go get a blow dry? And I'm like, no, mum, like it's okay. Um, And and you also know that Gemma doesn't care. So. (laughs) Well, there's that, yeah. Mm. But, you know, so I, I do feel like that was my my earliest memory. And, you know, beauty routines are very tactile, as you know, like you're applying the cream and, you know, the smell of her perfume and the way she used to do her hair. And we always used to do her makeup and do her hair and play dress-ups and all this kind of stuff. So I feel like that, that was my, my introduction to beauty. Obviously, you moved over when you were six, so very young. But 
Did you, even growing up, did you notice any differences in the way that Brazilian women approached beauty as compared, sorry, to Australian women, even just watching your mum? Were there any differences that you were picking up on? Look, I think probably as a young girl, I mean, maybe even now, like even when I do, so my mum comes quite often with me to school drop off because I'm, you know, eight months pregnant and I've got mm. three toddlers. So getting them in and out of the car for three different drop offs is quite the mission. And, um, <laughs> And I do notice, like, I will go to drop off in, like, my gym gear with my hair up in a bun and or just, like, a slip-on dress and not think about it too much. But she will be, like, her hair will be blow-dried, her makeup will be done, her dress will be perfect. So th- there is a, probably a little bit more of a care factor in terms of aesthetics and how um, how much she cares about how she looks, whereas I feel like maybe Australians are a little bit more pared back I would say that that's the, mm. probably the biggest difference. And not that I'm around a lot of Brazilian women, really the only mm. Brazilian woman that I'm around is my mum, so that's probably the only person I can mm. compare it to. I imagine you had a pretty early affinity for beauty growing up around your mum and observing her routines, but what did you think you might be when you grew up? Oh, this is wild. So I always wanted to be a midwife. Really? And Yep, that was always my goal. I used to watch like One Born Every Minute, all those birth shows when I was like nine or ten years old. Oh my and God. I used to, I've read every book by Ina May Gaskin, which is, uh, she's written some great knockers like Spiritual Midwifery and really about natural birth and very, I've had four, like, well, this will be my fourth, very medicated cesarean, two under a general anaesthetic, so very different to the kind of birth that I've had to have. But I was very passionate about, so I think it must be like a past life thing because it's strange how obsessed I am with birth. But um, that's what I used to, and I remember I told my English teacher in high school one day and because he asked me in year 12 and I said, I think I want to be a midwife. And at the time you had to go and do nursing um, in order to become a midwife. But then as I finished university, UTS uh, started a Bachelor of Midwifery. Uh, mm. And so then I think had that, I didn't want to do nursing, like general nursing. I really just wanted to do midwifery. So had that been available when I finished school, perhaps I would have had a very different career path. Wow. <laughs> I know. Maybe that's why I'm having so many children. <laughs> well, I mean, we were, we were talking before I hit record about this pregnancy, by the time this episode comes out, I think you will have four children. But you've had four pretty great pregnancies. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I have. So I had three under three, which, so my kids are now three, four, and five. And then, yeah, I know, three kids in two and a half years. And then I had four miscarriages. And mm. then I had, and then I had this this pregnancy. So I feel, and I also had a pregnancy loss before my first. So this, in total, this is like my ninth pregnancy now, which is wow. crazy. In um, in eight years of being in my fertility years, I suppose. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe that's why. And then everyone's like, "Is this your last?" I'm like, "Yes, yes, a hundred probably." <laughs> <laughs> never say never. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so you wanted to be a midwife, but if my research serves me, at one point you studied international studies at the University of Sydney? Yeah, so I did a degree called uh, a Bachelor of International and Global Studies at Sydney University and then I majored in international business and political economy, which is actually oh. quite relevant to what I'm doing now. 
I didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, you know, when I finished school. And I think for me, that's the beauty of university. And I have some friends who are older who have children that are finishing high school. And I always say to them that I think that university is a great step for, for children because who knows what they want to do when they're 18? Nobody knows what mm. they want to do when they're 18. And I certainly didn't. And, you know, there was lots of things that I toyed with, like with law and all of other, you know, like I thought about changing my degree so many times. There was um, commerce and law and all different types of things that I looked into whilst I was studying um, to finish. And, and none of it really appealed to me. But the political economy side of things I loved, which was mainly heavily reading and even to this day, sort of the books that I tend to read go down that path. Um, and then international business was probably a little bit dry, but what I liked, about, it was in the economics faculty, but what I liked about it was this cross-cultural management of different um, cultures. And I, I have actually learned a lot from that and I've used that a lot because obviously Vita Glow is such a global business mm. now. Where did you think, I mean, you've mentioned that you thought about changing what you were studying. Obviously midwifery was kind of on the back burner. Did you have a plan at this point as to what you would do when you finished studying? No. So I nannied from the time I was about 16 for a family um, who the the father is actually a godfather to my middle son, Henry. And uh, he worked in, in the rag trade and a company called Hot Springs. And I moved and I did my um, internship and things at uh, at his business, at his, mm-hmm. at his, at his, at Hot Springs, and my first job out of uni was working as a sales exec for in, in the licensing. So they did, right? They did. They had the license to print Disney AFL um, at four clothing for like Big W Target, oh. um, Mass, and so I worked underneath a phenomenal woman called Faye Gazelle, who was uh, the head of the accounts of that particular field of the of the business because they they have a lot of other brands like um that they work with now like key nation and rebecca valance mm. and um they did college again for a while so it was a really interesting place to work and i was there for oh, my memory serves me correctly for a few years but i actually started vita glow whilst i was working there and i worked there for about a year and a half whilst doing vita glow and they were so like Faye, my boss, knew I was doing it. She was totally okay with me doing it. I would stay back after work and then I would uh, – I hired one of the graphic designers at the um, that worked – her name's Amy Castles and um, who worked for with me for Disney and AFL and, and the different things that we used to put on kids' pajamas and stuff. And we would stay back after work and order dirty Thai food and nick a bottle mm-hmm. of wine from Wasim's office who was – you know, the, the the GM and the godfather of my son now um, and stay back and, and then Kieran would come and pick us up at around 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock and then drive Amy home and then come home and then go back to work the next day. So I did that for about 18 months until we, you know, and then when we launched and we thought, okay, maybe this has legs. But I think it was May 2015 that I then moved to working from home mm-hmm. and I did that for a year on Vita Glow and then... And then we got our first little office in Darlinghurst in 2016. Okay, so let's talk about the beginnings of Vita Glow. So by my understanding, it all kind of came to be 
while you were on a trip to Japan, that was your first introduction to marine collagen. You were experiencing mm-hmm. hair loss yourself. What can you tell me about that time? Yeah, so, you know, I, I don't get asked that a lot in terms of I've only had one ever, one journalist ask, why were you losing so much hair? And I have this condition called von Willebrand's disease, which is the reason why I was telling you before we started recording that I've that I had two cesareans under a general anaesthetic. It's a blood mm. clotting condition. And it means that the risk of bleeding into the spine with having a spinal block is too high. So I had to have a general whilst having my children. And it's genetic 50% chance of any child that I have will have will have von Willebrand's disease. Um, and when I was in my late teens, I had uh, pre-cancer, SIN3, precancerous cells in my cervix that was reoccurring. And I just discovered it from, you know, a random pap smear. And I had that mm. operated on by a gynae um, oncologist. And I had about three operations. And the first was just to remove it. The other the other two were to stop the bleeding because I was bleeding so much. I also had my tonsils removed because I really suffered with tonsillitis. And when I had my tonsils removed, I bled so much after having, I had to go back in and have two or three more surgeries to stop the bleeding. And no one really did any research into why I was, bleeding actually which is crazy until I was pregnant with my first child and I went to my obstetrician knowing so much about birth given my desire to become a midwife Mm. and saying to him I'm really worried about how much blood I've lost from having cervix my cervix operated on but also my tonsils and he said let's refer you to a hematologist and that's how I discovered I had von Willebrand's disease so I think and there's no scientific evidence behind this this is just my Um, what I think happened Mm -hmm. is that from all of that blood loss that I was having in my late teens and early 20s, I think that there's such a huge, you know, nutritional depletion that's happening whilst Mm -hmm. you're having all of those blood loss and those multiple operations. I think that that was, and the stress was probably what was causing um, the hair loss because it was quite dramatic. Like, I mean, I had white tiles and I have very dark hair and it was like a Labrador. It was like shedding all over the floor. Mm. It was clogging up my shower. I'd have to pour acid down the drain to unblock the drain. So that was really, I was taking sort of every supplement I could think of for, for hair loss. Um, but I also had really natural looking acrylic nails, not because I particularly liked that look, but because my nails wouldn't really grow. I've always had pretty good skin. Um, but it was really my hair and now. So I was taking a lot of supplements. And then on, when I was in Asia and I, and it was interesting to me how readily available collagen supplements were, you know, I mean, we don't, I've never heard of collagen. I thought collagen was Botox. So, uh, and I remember thinking, what, what is this white powder that people take in their water? It was from fish. Like it just didn't really sound like anything I'd ever heard of. What I was purchasing was hair, skin and nail tablets from pharmacies, mm. basically. And silica. Remember silica, the yes, gels that people? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I mean, I don't I don't think any of the, the supplements that I was taking was making a huge difference, but I was interested enough to buy enough to buy, to buy one month supply. To be fair, she told me that I needed to take three a day which you absolutely don't need to take three days to get results but that's what I started taking and it sat in the cupboard for a few weeks until Kieran was in the shower one day and was like hey can you pass me the knife your hair's clogging up the shower again and I thought I better start taking that collagen and it was really from my experience of that dramatic decrease in the amount of hair that I was losing I had those um what are they called those great length hair extensions, the ones that are the individual yeah. beads. I had those and when I went and and when you have to get those redone, you have to take them all out before you put them back in. And at about six weeks after I'd started taking the collagen, she was like, look at all this new hair that's growing. And and I thought, oh, maybe I can do like 
I'll get rid of the hair extensions for a little while until and, and see if it's really the collagen. So then I started gifting it to people. I was talking to everyone about it. I told the waiter at the restaurant about it one night and Kieran, who was then my boyfriend, said, you know, we were talking about what we could do when we got married and had kids on the side, which is hilarious because mm-hmm. I now work 365 days a year. Um, and Instagram was just starting at the time. So there was all these Instagram brands and and we were thinking about something that we could start. And I was like, could I bring in Brazilian bikinis being from Brazil? Or like I was really into yoga. Could I do like a yoga brand? Something, you know. And then mm. it was Kieran one day that was like, what about this shit that you import in from Japan and it costs a fortune on the credit card every month and you tell everybody about it? And and I was like, well, I don't know anything about marine collagen. And he was like, well, don't you think you should because you take it every day? And I was like, yeah, I probably should. <laughs> I probably should do some more research. And that led to, you know, six years, five years at university teaches you how to be really good at research. Um, mm. And that led to probably nine months of, of researching what collagen was. And even though it was very new in the West and there was no other brands really in the Western market, it wasn't new in the Asian market. So there were plenty of brands to do comparisons to, not only in, in you know, like Malaysia, Thailand, Japan, China. So there were so many products um, available that I could look into the research. And so, and I did things like I went to fishpond.com and bought um, textbooks. And, and, and what was interesting was that it wasn't just for hair, skin and nails. There were so many like studies on things like joint pain in athletes, the treatment of alopecia, osteoporosis health, um, and and so that was really what thought, you know, maybe maybe this, this stuff has legs. Well, we obviously don't have nine months to go right into all of the research, so we'll keep it top level. We could do a whole other episode on this, but in as much or as little detail as you wish, what is collagen? What can it do for us? I think the easiest way, it's very complicated and it's very sciencey. So mm-hmm. in order to keep it sort of top line, the easiest way that I think that I can explain, you know, ingestible beauty, and then I'll go on to collagen, is I like to explain to people that the the top layer of the, of our skin where most traditional topicals operate makes is focusing on about 3% of our total skin organ. Ingestibles work on the other sort of 97% of skin. And I think that that's really important to understand because ingestibles start in the body. They start on a cellular level where the ingredients can really penetrate the other side of your skin organ because your skin is your largest organ. There's so many layers to it. And the top superficial part where we focus on is really doesn't make up a whole lot. So with ingestible, you can really address more than just the top superficial layers of the skin. But in order to answer your question about collagen and what does collagen actually do and what is it? So collagen is a protein and it's the largest protein in the human body. And our bodies naturally produce collagen and it acts like a building block for our hair, skin and nails. And it it focuses on things like the skin structure, skin firmness, skin elasticity. And from around the age of 25, but lots of factors can impact that. So that can, you know, your diet, um, your your genetics, um, harsh environments, all of those things can actually increase the level of um, decline and, and decline in collagen levels. Um, and this is really when we start to see the, the first signs of natural skin aging. And on top of that decline, then you've got exposure to sun, stress, mm. poor diets, toxins, all of those kinds of things that can obviously accelerate that. So natural collagen 
can be supplemented with a powdered collagen. And there are different types of collagens. There's beef, there's um, marine, you know, there's there's um, pork, uh, which is um, porcine, fowl, which is chicken-based collagen. There doesn't really exist a powdered form. The best way to get that type 2 type collagen is from like chicken broths and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that once, it, once you ingest it, it passes the lining of the stomach intact and it's actually absorbed and distributed by the bloodstream, which is why the molecule weight of your collagen peptide powder is so important and it's really the only thing that matters when looking for a top quality collagen supplement because it travels through tiny little blood vessels to the collagen matrix where it increases collagen levels because you're putting more collagen in but most importantly it stimulates fibroblast proliferation which are the cells responsible for the production of fresh collagen in the body. So it is a little bit complicated in that sense, but it's one of the reasons that I always prefer people to have their collagen in water, for example, as opposed to putting it in a smoothie where you have oats and chia seeds and banana and milk and whatever else you put in there that's been broken down by the gut. It's, it's essentially pre-digested. Um, and ours is as low as 2,000 Dalton, so it's the lowest sort of molecule weight that you can get in a collagen peptide powder. And I think mm-hmm. the most important thing to look for is studies clinical studies, the scientific studies behind it, which is my my sort of passion behind mm. everything that I do and every new product we bring out. So we really place an extensive investment into clinical trials of products. So putting products through clinical trials is going above and beyond the standard of what the TGA requirement is or even the standard of what's required for a sale. So a clinical mm. trial tests the performance of a finished formulation in an independent setting. Okay, so using measurements and controls. So we really want to be leading with 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 science and in order in in order for people for the products for people to come back and repeat purchase the products need to work mm. and the only way that you can really test that it is working is by investing in clinical trials now the reason that most brands don't do it is because it's incredibly expensive <laughs> and yeah. it's very time consuming and you can't do them yourself you you fund them and you pay for them but they have to go to an independent body to be a true clinical study. So there are all sorts of trials that brands can do um, to generate claims about what their products are. But clinical trials are the most credible and the most definite um, in measure. So a customer can look for words like clinically proven or clinically studied. And then the, the word proven is in a clinical trial means that the results have been obtained and that those results have been demonstrated to have significant statistical significant benefits and it can give that consumer confidence to what a, what the product is doing um so i guess for me that's and, and man our team because we have we formulate our own product we have our own formula we have mm. 60 people in our north sydney office and we have our own scientists and and but the independent trials are done by a non-biased organizational body wow Sorry, I can't keep that brief. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm, I, that actually is very brief given how much there is to it. But I love all of that, particularly the stuff about clinical trials because that's, I mean, that's what it comes down to, isn't it, particularly with this sort of thing where it is so dependent on the quality and then in turn the results. You don't want to be flippant about it. No, and and consumers are pretty discerning so I feel Mm. that you know and also for us to be able to get experts or people to work with us like dermatologists and scientists Mm. and and people to be able to advocate for our products because you know when we started Vita Glow it was basically like 
send it to every influencer that you could in 2014 and people would post for free and that's how you generated followers and it was a very different world. Whereas now, I mean, I, in, in, in what we do, the whole influencer relevance has definitely come down mm. and I don't think that's across all, I mean, like in fashion, it's definitely not. You know, you want to see an influencer wearing a dress for you to buy it. But with ingestibles, I think people, they want to hear from credible sources, you know, whether it's like specific beauty influencers or whether it's dermatologists or whether it's aestheticians, people want to see. And and for us to be able to get people to advocate for our products and talk about our products, if they are a medical professional, they will want to see the studies. Otherwise, they won't work with us and nor should they. Mm. Okay, so... Timeline-wise, where do we go from here? You are taking this collagen from Japan that's costing you and Kieran a bloody fortune. You've spent nine months researching it. How did you go about turning this into a business? There are so many steps along the way. How did you make it happen? Well, we we started with Shopify. So once mm-hmm. we had the research, I did every single piece of content on the website and Mm -hmm. I mean if I was to show you our first website it was a joke it was so embarrassing um and you know like the design of the packaging like the I mean I'll probably frame it in my house one day but I'm kind of it makes me cringe the the old beta glow packaging before the rebrand with the swirl and you know I remember it vividly and the craft and Mm -hmm. you know because everything that I well everything that I could see that I was purchasing from overseas was very clinical and sterile and very pharmaceutical looking when actually this product was not I didn't feel like that would resonate with the Australian consumer what we did right was that we launched our Shopify website with five backends so Australia and New Zealand Canada the US Europe um, and the UK and we launched internationally from day one Um, and we I ran the Instagram I did every content for the website Kieran has always done, you know, the logistics and the warehousing and that kind of side of the business that's always been um, his strength and he's the CEO now, so he's very much involved in, in operation, the operational side of the business. Um, and and then, like, you know, running the social media, answering every customer surface question. And we started small, but it was a real um, – and it was before collagen was a thing, so it was a really great way to do it. I mean, we didn't really know what we were doing, you know, to be honest, but we started – and it was the it was a great way of doing it because it meant that I was constantly learning and we didn't have staff for the first two years. I mean, mm. the first staff member has just celebrated her seventh year at Vita Glow wow. yesterday, um, Claire, and she has been with us for she was our very first employee. And I remember interviewing her and like googling, um, you know, what do you ask in an interview? <laughs> you know, I didn't know and. And she did everything. I mean, now she's head of ops, she's head of ops. But, um, you know, she did blog writing, marketing. You know, we sent stuff out. We couldn't afford to have a PR agency. We couldn't afford to have anything. It was just us, you know, three people doing it. And um, and, and that's how we started. And I started at home um, and I had a little dog. I still have my dog, George. Yes. And my neighbor's little dog, um, because they worked all day, Sebastian, I would get him to keep George company. And I have, like, an old photo of my desk, you know, like, just – we just did whatever we could. I mean, social media obviously played a massive role into what we were doing and and we didn't sell into wholesale and stores for a few years. So it was really just direct to consumer, the beginning. Well, let's talk social media because it was September 2014 that you launched. Instagram 
existed, but it was obviously very different to what it is now. Collagen is reasonably commonplace now, but it certainly wasn't then. I love like a commodity now. Yeah. I love yeah. talking to founders who have been amongst the first to market, which you certainly were in Australia, because while it's exciting to develop an entirely new category, there's also a pretty major education piece that has to come along with that. So how did you go about it? How did that launch phase go for you? And how did you go about educating consumers and getting them on board with what you were doing? Well, I think the biggest challenge for us then, and to be honest, it's still the biggest challenge for us now, um, even though it does feel like there's a new collagen product on the market available every week, it's still awareness. Mm. You know, like I said earlier, I felt like collagen was Botox. I didn't know what it was. So how do we explain to people that this is collagen, it's made from fish, this is how it works, this is what it does. So education played a huge role in Instagram to your question played an enormous role in a, in a wearing awareness. We didn't really use any other platform other than Instagram. And we, like, I grew that Instagram account. You know how hard it is to grow Instagram mm. accounts now to, like, 50,000 in the first year. And without the full algorithms and everything else got involved, it was actually quite easy. And the first year that we launched online, we actually performed quite well. Um, and I would do anything that I could to speak to people about collagen. So, like my weekends, you know, within a couple of years, we were stocked in small whole foods, like about life, pharmacies, those kinds of things. So I spent my weekends with a little denim apron that I bought online with a little beady glow sticker because like the embroidery cost too much at the time. And I would go and stand in pharmacies. Like I would drive to DY from Rush Cutters where we lived and, you know, spend the weekend in a, in a local pharmacy in DY with my apron on and my sticker. And then I would do it at About Life in Balmain or I'd do it at About Life at Bonner Junction and I would you know, and I mean, we, we didn't make many sales, but anyone that was kind enough to stop to talk to me, I would talk to them about what collagen was and do tastings and, 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 and it was me. I had, it wasn't an easy sell. People didn't really know. There was a couple of brands available. Like there was a brand called Great Lakes, which is still available now. It's an American brand and they do bovine collagen. And a lot of people were actually in that health food space were taking that for bone health, but not, people weren't taking collagen for um, beauty. They were mm. more taking it for bone health and, and, and joint health and, and other things. And so, like, yeah, so, and, you know, I, I researched all the studies and I referenced all the studies like I would do like a university project, you know, and today I think education is still the number one thing. It's still at the forefront of everything that we do. But I guess the difference is now that we have like a panel of experts and we have, you know, people and we have scientists and we have like, it's very different. It's a big global business now, but those early days were exciting. And and in, and in and pre-launch, so that was September 2014. And then, you know, pre-launch was completely different because it was like Googling collagen manufacturers because there's no hydrolyzation plant in Australia. And that at the time there wasn't in New Zealand either. You could only do pills. I wanted to get powder. We started with in Japan. That was where we first started hydrolyzing. We travelled to Kobe to see the factories and that was really exciting. This is all pre-launch mm. and we started learning the process of contract manufacturing and packaging and supply chains and sort of that kind of evolved from there. And then as we continued to grow, we moved our packaging across to Australia so that we could be more, you know, in control of what was happening. And then, you know, in 2016, we ended up moving to a French supplier 
um, which is our collagen is made in France now and because their quality and technology is sort of the best in the world and in order to get into the EU and to sell into the EU with an EU certificate, you have to change. So it's all been a very um, interesting sort of journey and even though we're an Aussie-owned and operated brand, the core of our success and what we're able to do is really to be able to source raw materials internationally. So the collagen is made in France, hyaluronic acid is made in Germany, the skincare is made in Switzerland, um, you know, advanced repair is made in Australia. So there's a lot that goes into it, but I guess it was, it wasn't like we had a strategy, Gemma, you know, it was like mm. we started and then it evolved. That's probably the one thing. It's not like we launched with original marine collagen. There was no other flavors. There was no other, and and so it it just went from there. On that evolution, at what point did you begin to start expanding the range? It was within about eighteen months that we we brought out the blue. About a year that we brought out mm-hmm. the blueberry flavor, because being a fish product, the original is by far our best seller with collagen, and sixty percent of our sales. But if you have more sensitive taste buds then we would recommend taking a, a, a flavoured blend. So it was really consumer feedback. You know, we launched with, we had, we launched with the product, we launched with um, blueberry. And then there were people that were vegetarian or vegan that asked us about, could they take this product, which obviously vegetarians and vegans can't take that product. And the collagen is the only product in our range that is not vegan. Mm-hmm. Everything else is. But then we launched a product called the Beauty Blend, which is discontinued. I mean, it's, quite funny all the products that we've launched and have discontinued now and and I think that's important to note because for every success there's so many failures mm-hmm. that go behind it you know it's not all rosy um and so then we did a, like a beauty blend product um for vegans and vegetarians and then we brought out other other um powders that you know didn't really sit with where we were going we were going for like a health and wellness sort of and then you know we realized that wasn't really where we wanted to go and then we went back to we launched skincare originally, which we then discontinued and we've launched a new skincare. So I would say that it's like now it's very different because our new product development is like it's like a well-oiled machine and we're concern-led. But in the beginning, it was kind of Kieran, Claire and I picking our brains as to like what do you think people will like and how do we expand, you know. The first sort of foray into skincare that you've just mentioned, I believe that was around 2018. What was the gap that you were looking to fill? So we started form, yeah, we started form, that took about two years to formulate. Um, mm-hmm. And really, I, I would say the skincare was a bit of like a passion project, like a mm-hmm. personal passion project rather than being strategic um, mm-hmm. in terms of what we wanted to do. And we will extend our skincare range out to a couple more products, but we won't ever be a skincare brand we really are an ingestible beauty brand and that has also come from getting teams um and and understanding that we need to be really clear in what our mission is and what our goal is and and they're the things that you learn with time in a business whereas we didn't really do that in the beginning um and so that took yeah that was about two years of form of formulating and basically products that I wanted to bring out that I was looking for. A lot of it is like like Radiance, for example. It was from my personal mm. experience with melasma pigmentation and thinking how can I treat this pigmentation with something that's ingestible. Like a lot of it is concern-led and or something that we feel that I'm missing or someone in the team is missing, an idea that comes from within really. Let's talk about the rebrand. This was 2021. Vita Glow underwent 
a complete rebrand. You've mentioned you were global from the start, but this was really like the expansion stage. A few questions on this time. Firstly, what prompted the rebrand? Look, the rebrand was something that I always wanted to do. I think within two, by 2017, I was really over the the packaging and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had, we, we, we didn't, re- I mean, by 2017, we did have a team of, uh, we did have a creative team, but it was just a couple of graphic designers. Now we have a creative director and our creative team in our team, in our business is the, the biggest team that we have. But it was a strategic decision and it was something that I'd wanted for a really long time um, to be able to cement our position as global leaders in the ingestible beauty space. And and naturally, Vita Glow has evolved since we first begun and we've grown up and the way that we show up, you know, and mm-hmm. we want to have an expert team around us to help us show up in a really strong way. And also probably a little bit more um, streamlined on shelf as we moved into the wholesale space and started selling in stores. Mm. Um, and so, like, like I said, you know, we sort of, started like we designed it out myself and Amy like we'd know I mean she was obviously a creative but I certainly wasn't and there wasn't a lot of strategy put behind it so when we rebranded I want I wanted to make sure that Vita Glow never lost its sort of color and its vibrancy and that sunny disposition that the brand has but and because we had built a lot of brand equity in that color because at, at the time like all the other our competitors would tend to be very you know neutrals or black and mm. white and so I never wanted to lose that color the vibrancy of the se- the previous seven years and how much work we had done. But I wanted it to be in good stead. I wanted it to look great on shelves for our retailers and I wanted it to look more elevated, I suppose. And that was really what prompted the rebrand. I'd also love to hear more about being a truly global business, which you absolutely are. We've already touched on kind of the varying approaches to beauty from one region to another. But what about global consumer trends? What are some of the things that you've learnt during the expansion process as to the way people from different parts of the world are shopping? Well, I mean, I'm still learning. You know, I'm <laughs> learning a lot because we're very, we're still very much on that journey of global expansion and learning. And, and again, we're experiencing really similar barrier to entries that we did very early on with product awareness and different markets have very different product awareness or some markets like the US have had great growth in the category but then have been let down by the products that have been offered and so then it's left like a sour taste in retailers mouth and have dropped it for example so some markets are a lot more advanced when it comes to others in category awareness like the UK and Australia and parts of Asia but I would say some parts of Europe are like five years behind and Mm. I think the US is a completely different market because they've had the giants come in um, that have almost killed the category in a way because you know not offering good quality products and so consume and also you can buy collagen that you know cost close to ten dollars like it's can you really yeah and Walmart and so it's it's a very interesting market, the US, and also it's re- everything's regional in the US. Yeah, like LA and New York are like two different countries, you know. Like, um, so it's it's interesting to, yeah. I remember our first trip last year, two thousand February two thousand and twenty two, when we did our first launch into the US. Like, I had this like anxiety, like as if I was starting from day one again. It was a very different experience to 
the awareness that we have here in Australia, in the UK and in China, our success in China, for example. So what I've seen and what I can comment is that I think that Australia has high awareness compared to the rest of the world. And I think that's because some of our strongest competitors, our competitors in our brands, the best competitors come out of Australia. Mm-hmm. The credit ha- the credit the category has a lot of credibility in this market and there's a lot of strong brands creating really impressive products. Um, and I think beyond awareness, you know, being a global ingestible brand also has lots of challenges because it's very different to selling a, selling a T-shirt, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, you know, it's something that you take. So the regulations that you have to get through to go into all different countries create so many barriers to entry. Mm-hmm. So we're in a place where we've been able to invest in a team that are experts in formulations and also regulations like we have a whole quality control team a regs team a science team so that we can eliminate this barrier so that when we do pitch to global retailers some of the first questions that they ask us are well what are we going to do about regs you know Mm. and and we can say well we are globally compliant but that is such a huge part of what we do to get that across the line you've launched so many incredible products since that rebrand and expansion, many of which are part of my daily routine. But as this episode goes to air, you will have just launched Women's Health, which is so exciting. So it's a collection of four supplements formulated specifically for women. How long ago did you begin to conceptualize this range? Oh, look, I think most of our product development takes about two years. Yeah, It's funny, you know, once we, at a minimum, clear took three, um, yeah. But like skincare, radiance, hairology took three. And I remember when we launched hairology last year, you know, it was so exciting for everybody. And we did the launch event two days in our office. And I was like, yeah, like, but you feel like you're almost sick of talking about it by the time it launches because it takes so long. Mm. Um, the product pipeline is a really long time. And I think that with women's health, in probably two parts to that answer is that it's an area that I'm personally really invested in having a prenatal for example and having three children at my fourth about a month away and it's something that I'm really interested in and the my experience of taking supplements like bloating as well stress as well they're Mm. they're very personal products to me and also our consumers are asking for it so they want beauty supplements but also they want health supplements I think the rise of supplements especially during the pandemic and people's awareness it's a bit like the lipstick effect you know like people were taking, were like, were still purchasing their red lipstick, but and they were still purchasing their supplements because they were on Zoom or they were on T, you know, they were so aware of the way that they were looking on screen and people started investing more into these things because they couldn't get facials and other things. So, um, and I wanted to be able to see whether we could offer it to that customer and also the customers that, that we lose during that fertility gap, you know, because you know, a lot of people trying to conceive or in pregnancy or breastfeeding move away from supplements and they take very specific supplements for them. So how could we how could we harness our consumers and give them more than what we just offer? And also then, you know, Gemma, I think, as you know, female health is so under-researched. Oh, you're not um, wrong. Still to this day, and women are really underserved when it comes to health and products and that are designed for them. You know, I read a piece of research that explained that only 1% of healthcare research and innovation is based on female-specific concerns. It's so sad that that doesn't surprise me. Like, what is Beyond that oncology, say? obviously. Yeah, of course. Um, but, oh. but, you know, and, like, that's quite and, – and so many products are actually focused on men's 
health yeah. and 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 men's bodies and we're very different obviously mm. so I think it's sort of intending to change that you know we spoke to the community we have a, a great working relationship with our community and ask them what mattered to them and that's how we sort of landed on the range the range will will most likely expand as well but this was the, sort of the four core so for women's health we took a really female first solution focused philosophy you know with like 93 percent women in the vita glow office um and created a range of supplements that could really focus and be meticulously formulated based on the unique physiological needs requirements for women so this was two years again it's usually mm -hmm. about two years that it takes to formulate a product and then the product development process is really intentional so there's like what do we need to fulfill what are we looking to solve you know it's never about putting a product on the shelf. If there is research yeah. phase, how long does that research phase take? How many ingredients, you know, that we, I mean, there's so many projects that we've binned because the research didn't stack up. I mean, even in the last year, there were so many that we were excited about and it's like actually the research and the clinicals don't stack up in order for us to bring these products to market. And then actually finding ingredients that are clinically studied Mm. and then finding doses that actually make a difference. Like for me with a prenatal, it was really important to have a one-a-day capsule, you know, to have non an iron supplement that didn't cause constipation because when you're pregnant, you're kind of really sensitive to smells and, you know, taking capsules that are this big that smell bad that, um, you know, if they have iron, they usually cause constipation and those kinds of – it's all those nitty-gritty details that we're really sort of passionate mm. about. You bring up a point that I hadn't really thought about when you mentioned um, being able to kind of support those customers through fertility because they often will move away from what they were taking. I have a, I, it hadn't really crossed my mind, but I've got a lot of girlfriends that are pregnant at the moment and they've said that they didn't realise you have this almost emotional kind of an attachment to your rituals and your routines and then to suddenly go, okay, actually, no, this is this is all not happening anymore and now I've got to work a whole new brand that I have no attachment to into my routine. So the fact that you can now sort of be there every step of the way at risk of sounding sappy, it's a, yeah. it's a comfort. <laughs> yeah, and it comes, I think you you don't, yeah, fertility and, and, and pregnancy, it's an interesting thing because you don't know how you're going to feel until you're in it. You can't really understand it until mm. you've been gone through it. It's a, It's an interesting one. So, I mean, that's probably for me in my personal social media account that's like the number one question I get from people is what do you take when you're pregnant? What can you take when you're pregnant? Mm. And there's very strict guidelines in Australia. Mm. So with all of our existing products, the guideline is, well, for three, the TGA products um, are clear. Clear is a definite no during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Herology and radiance is, is, is not recommended. And then with collagen and antideoxids, check with your healthcare professional. Yeah. I've taken collagen all my pregnancies and I've also taken antigeox, but we cannot legally recommend it, you know. Yes. And and even I have out of interest taken it to my obstetrician. And and so sort of it's it's a very tricky thing to navigate for women. It's like all of a sudden they can't have, you know, runny eggs. They have to have mm. medium or well done eggs. So it's it's interesting what the the changes that women have to go through when and like retinols. You know, mm. um, and also your skin changes. Your skin becomes more sensitive. Or I always get pigmentation when I'm pregnancy. That's what my that's what I struggle with in pregnancy. So it's a it's a real discovery. Mm. Talk me 
through the range. I know that there are four products. We've got Gut Pro. That's the one I'm particularly excited about. Gut Pro, De-Stress, Multi360, Prenatal Plus. What more can you tell me about them beyond the names? So, okay. First of all, I want I want you to know that I understand that the vitamin category in general is super cluttered. Yeah. Like my husband like has a good laugh at my expense because he's like, you spend the most money in a pharmacy. To my defense, I do have three toddlers. So I am yeah. like at the pharmacy a lot um, because they sell nappies and creams and, you know, everything mm. else. Um, but I do love a pharmacy and I do for someone like even who I think understands a lot about this space, I do find it difficult to 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 navigate what is best and I it's think it's so we, overwhelming it's so overwhelming there's so many products like yeah. you know if one of your child has got like a cough or who's got something there's so many options so it's it's a really cluttered space and I wanted to simplify this of what we could offer in this space of women's health for women and that research led to the top concerns and so that's how we came up with those four products to begin with so it was you know, women's gut health, bloating as a, a huge concern, preconception and and um, and and preconception health basically, and obviously my pregnancies, um, and then general immunity, stress. I think in the post-pandemic world is is a huge huge area of concern, mm-hmm. um, and hair loss in particular has been super interesting to us in this space. So we wanted to create really scientific formulations that could get to the root of what the cause was but focusing on women so multi 360 so that's like it's a multivitamin and it's plus a fish oil tablet it's um it's it's a a really streamlined multivitamin for your daily routine so it's general health and well-being in women so energy cognitive function immunity um and there's no shortages of multis on the market i understand that but they can contain tens and thousands of ingredients and if you look at the label, there's so many of them. Um, but the ingredients are included in really small, minimal amounts. Um, and so we wanted to really be very careful and we only selected 11 key nutrients to meet the woman's needs and included them at doses. That really makes a difference. And we really use we use this interesting, we've done it before, we've done it with Clear, this cap-in-cap technology, mm. um, which is something I'm super interested in where you combine a powder plus an oil ingredient so that people only have to take one a day as opposed to having to take six a day you know or seven a day um is is a real passion project for that for this particular product so we're always getting you know you're, you're always supported by getting your nutrition through food and through diet but research shows that women simply aren't getting the nutrition that we need to through food alone and and that's probably for men as well but if we're talking Mm. about women here so it's about providing a really efficacious solution to bridge that gap and to be able to support optimal health, energy, immunity, you know. Prenatal plus, obviously, I've got three young children. I'm pregnant with the fourth. I've experienced countless amounts of prenatal supplements. Um, and also I've gone through a lot of miscarriages as well, which has been very interesting in terms of supplementation and what to take post, you know, before and also mm. after um and i had a really long list of requirements when it came to a prenatal from my experience of taking so many over the years so i really wanted it to be able to deliver everything that a woman wanted for preconception and pregnancy but in one capsule and the capsule that wasn't too big and not Mm -hmm. too hard to swallow it needed to have folate obviously that was both but the folate i wanted it to be active and also non-active 
mm-hmm. so that it could be effectively used by all women. So that's really important. I wanted to be formulated with iron, but I didn't want it to cause constipation or discomfort because personally I could never take a prenatal previously that had iron in it mm-hmm. or that progesterone in pregnancy. You're already so constipated. Add in an yeah. iron supplement, it becomes incredibly uncomfortable, especially when everything's being compressed with a growing baby. Of course. Um, so that was really important to me I wanted it to be vegan I wanted it to have the additional benefit of helping to relieve morning sickness because I have seen a few supplements come up with that and how we could do that in a dose that was meaningful to women as well um, and I'm really pleased that we've actually been able to achieve all of that with our prenatal plus and I I mean I know I'm biased but I think it's the best that's available on the market at the moment so very exciting mm. um, gut pro interesting how many women struggle with digestion and gut issues Mm-hmm. And bloating and gut health isn't just a concern that's obviously exclusive to women, but we know that it's a concern, a concern that sort of is highlighted in women, you know. Yes. Um, and your reaction to that product is like exactly what I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. women are much more likely to experience bloating and any digestive issues than men, and our hormones is one of the big reasons for that. So, you know, the second half of our menstrual cycle with the dip in the estrogens, and then progesterone obviously affects our bloating um, and, and, and anyone that's going through PMS and those kinds of things pre, post can understand the changes that happen. And then there are two main pathways that we can support the gut um, to relieve bloating. And one of those is by nourishing the gut and supporting it through the microbiome, mm-hmm. which is, you know, hugely popular at the moment and, and something that people are really interested in and, and rightly should be. And obviously that or the microbiome also greatly impacts the skin yes and then the other one is supporting digestion through the production of stomach acids and digestive enzymes and gut pro does both so it's a once a daily again really important to me it's a multi-stain probiotic so it focuses on relieving bloating gastrointestinal discomfort and supporting women's digestion but also the vaginal ph balance Mm, great so unlike you know your standard probiotic supplements we have this evidence-based strains of gut pro to nourish both mm. the gut and the vaginal microbiome, and it's only one capsule wow. a day. So that's really big. And then de-stress is probably like the coolest, I would say, <laughs> of the lack of a better word. So it's like a real game changer. So every every time I tell people about de-stress and about when it comes in bursts, like I can see them lighting up. It's the one that everyone gets most excited about, um, and it really moderates how our bodies adapt and respond to stress, not only in the long term but also in the short term. So they're liquid bursts. Mm-hmm. They taste delicious. They melt in your right. mouth and you pop them in your mouth, you chew it, and it helps to reduce the symptoms of mild anxiety and stress. Um, and it uses both physiological and sensorial mechanisms so wow. to support the relaxation. So reducing mild anxiety by 39% in the first six weeks. Wow. And then stress related tension by 59% after 12 weeks. Wow. So the clinicals in this product are pretty amazing. And the fact yeah. that it provides you with solution to help support you in that moment you need it is something that's really exciting. So it's like I'm stressed, I'm about to do a speech or I'm about to do a podcast or I'm about to, you know, go through something. Then mm. you can take it in that sense as well in the short term, but you can also take it in the long term. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at how we've developed this product. Oh, okay. So where did these fit within our existing Vita Glow routine? I'm assuming we can just 
complement these with our collagen, my beloved anti-geox, which you know is my favorite thing ever. I'm assuming that will just slot in nicely. Yes and no. Like okay. I think that we know that our overall health and well-being, which starts from within, is intimately connected with you know our appearance on the outside. So ingestibles are so important, and whilst we're working on beauty concerns, but then women's health is very different. So you know we want to complement beauty ingestibles and help you get the res- and amplify those results, but you also need to make sure that you aren't overdosing on any particular type of ingredients that is that can happen like for example you can take marine collagen as your base and you can take that with radiance we can take that with serology but then we don't recommend taking both because you could go over the zinc profile for example so we formulate the products to solve really specific health concerns and beauty concerns with targeted actives and the actives are at therapeutic doses so that's really important for it to make a difference so for this reason not every product across women's health and our ingestible beauty products can be taken all at the same time. So we recommend mm-hmm. using the collagen as the form of your base in your routine. Personally, right. you know me, I'm like a massive collagen fan and yeah. then introducing the targeted solution that's best for your goals. What I mean by that is if you are suffering from pigmentation, for example, then I would recommend that you take radiance. Mm-hmm. If your main concern is hair loss, then I would recommend that you take hairology. If you are suffering from acne, blackheads, excess oil production, then I would recommend clear. If stress is a big focus for you, then I would recommend de-stress. If, so I would go with one. And the, uh, the other reason that I say that is because in order for ingestibles supplements to work, you have to be consistent, mm. okay? And you cannot consistently take collagen, antigeox, you know, hairology, radiance, and then de-stress. And like, it's just not, you're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to start, start with one, two at the most in order for you to be consistent and have it daily and have it as part of your routine in order for it to make an actual difference to what you're trying. You're not going to get results unless you you can't dibble dabble with these products. You can't have one on Monday and one on Friday and expect to see results. So that's really important that people are looking for a base formulation, which is, for me is the collagen and then a targeted solution that you can add to that. Love it. As it stands, this might be a difficult question to answer sort of objectively, but VitaGlow is the number one marine collagen brand globally, as we know. One unit sells every four seconds, which completely blows my mind, as it must blow yours as well. Broad question, but why do you think that is? What do you think it is about your approach to ingestible beauty that is resonating with so many people across the globe? I think I think. Like simply, it's because it works. Mm. Good answer. You know, like I, I, there's so many things I could answer when it comes to this, but like with ingestibles, people are looking for assurance. You know, they're looking for something that's legitimate. They want to know that it works. They want to understand that it's not pseudoscience. And there's a lot of people, Gemma, that still sit on the fence about whether this stuff actually works. Even professionals, there are. And we take like a really highly scientific approach to the way that we build our products and that we talk about the efficacy of our our ingestibles and really trying to resonate with the consumer, but also with professionals. You know, I mm. want dermatologists, I want, you know, expert, like I want, I want leading experts to be behind this. And we've seen that so much, but there's still a long way to go. And when you're formulating with clinically studied ingredients and we invest into the clinical studies and the consumer trials, 
um, as well as clinical studies. And we have an in-house technical team and a science and scientists. We have an innovation lab. We work with independent dermatologists. We work with medical professions professionals in order to support the efficacy of our products. We send clinicals to these medical professions professionals before we bring products out to market. So there's a lot of reasons why I think Feta Glow has had success, but the core of it is the products work, the brand having has integrity. And you know, we can call, like I sleep well at night, you know, knowing that I'm offering the best products that I can to the customers. And collagen is our most popular product. Um, it's it still continues to be the most pro- popular product, and which is interesting because I think that the new innovations and new product developments that we're doing so far is really where the future of ingestible will go. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of education that goes into people understanding. I mean, even from your question before about what is collagen, there's so much that goes into people understanding what what is it, you know, our hydrolyzed mm-hmm. marine collagen he studied in a double-blind placebo-controlled trial, which is really the gold standard of clinical trials. And it's an independent hospital that has, you know, substantiated benefits on the skin. And th- these are the kinds of things that people, consumers in particular, are wanting to see from brands. And I honestly think that if brands don't live up to those consumer expectations, they won't have the longevity or the success, you know. And if you think outside of collagen, like... Um, radiance or herology or clear like clear went through our most rigorous clinical trial to date that's our acne um, blackhead oil production product and then putting products through clinical trials is just so expensive it's above and beyond what's requirement for sale requirement it isn't even a requirement of the tga you know Mm. um to be able to do this so being committed to leading with science um and and i think that for, for the most part our that the media, people like yourself, people who have a lot of experience in the beauty world can see that difference that that Vita Glow makes, you know, the effort that Vita Glow makes and how different mm. we are. Um, and, I, and, and I think that that's why we have been successful. You have been a part of the beauty industry since Vita Glow's launch in 2014. Since then, what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen within the beauty industry? Well, back to the previous question, transparency, yeah. you know. So consumers are demanding accountability. They're demanding transparency and not just in terms of brand values and where the products are created but the science behind the products. There's also a lot of people that still sit, like we said, on the fence about whether it works, whether it's pseudoscience, and we, it's a hard sell even now mm. to get them to understand why these products works and how they work and why we're different. Mm-hmm. And years ago, no one really looked at the back of the pack. You know, people yeah. today are wanting to discover more. They want, you know, as a brand, we've always understood the the importance of quality. And I think it also helps because China is our largest, our biggest market. And I think that that has come from a couple of factors. Like number one, um, collagen was already a thing in China and in Asian markets and then having an Australian brand was something that they really liked back then when we moved into the, the Chinese market. But they are some of the most difficult consumers in terms of the importance of transparency and and, and quality. And I think mm-hmm. selling our experience into selling into the Chinese market, um, their consumers are so particular about every ingredient, about every detail of every product, much more than any other consumer in any market. And so we have a whole team that actually um, has to do and 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 that that particularity that they have has actually really helped us 
for the rest of the world. So often when we're doing pitches to global retailers and stuff, they will have a list of questions that we already have answered many times over to other global consumers. So that makes a, a big difference. But I think that's the number one change is just how the level of transparency that consumers and retailers are demanding from brands. From brands. And I, personally, I think it's a good thing. And what changes do you think we can expect to see over the coming few years? I think the awareness piece is growing. I think the adoption is growing, especially mm-hmm. post-pandemic. I think people are seeing the benefits of ingestible beauty. People are using it every day. They're becoming more aware of different brands. And I really believe that people are product loyal, not brand loyal, you know, which is important. Like they might take a collagen for us or they might take collagen from someone else but then use our Radiance or Greens blend from another brand. So that's interesting. And I think that the category not only is it growing but the misconceptions about the science of ingestible beauty, which have always been a barrier to entry, are actually um, being the conversation on its on its the science has always been there, but the the conversation around its efficacy is finally making its way into the mainstream, into mm. media. Like I saw my local GP that has like four hundred followers post about the benefits of collagen the other day, you know, and I was like, wow. So this is the kind of these are the kinds of conversations that we can see. There's a lot more um, things on social media, TikToks. Mm-hmm. Um, experts speaking out about it um, and experts at the forefront of skin health are really like dermatologists are investing into understanding the science behind ingestible beauty and they're actually advocating for these products for the first time. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting and that's like like a game changer. And then I also get excited when you see big brands like Augustina Sparta or um, Dr. Barbara Sturm bringing out ingestibles. Mm. You know, there's a lot more traditional skincare brands bringing out ingestibles and those I I think that's that's exciting to see that as well. My final question, women's health will be out by the time this episode is released. What is next for Vita Glow? Well, <laughs> I can't tell you, Gemma. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will continue, obviously, to focus on the global expansion piece. So mm-hmm. I'm obviously not travelling this half of the year for obvious reasons. Yes. Um, but I will be travelling heavily the second half of the year. Last month we spent um, five months of the year overseas. So that, you know, expanding into new global markets, new territories is super exciting. We are the official health and beauty sponsor of the Asian Games, wow. which is massive. I know. So oh, that's my God, September. I didn't know this. Yep. We're the, um, so it was supposed to be last year, but obviously China was still in lockdown. So this year, September, we are the official sponsor for beauty and health sponsor for the Asian Games, which is massive. That and is huge. It's huge because the level of safety and compliance that is actually required to pass, you know, Mm. and to prove the the collagen safety and and prove quality for athletes to take these products is quite amazing that sort of the the hoops we've had to jump through. So um, that's going to be huge. And then lastly, we're focusing also on collagen and our collagen offering. Mm-hmm. So as the number one marine collagen brand in the world, we're really looking to create new innovations um, in collagen and collagen 2.0, as we call it, um, and how, how we can innovate that. So that's really exciting. And then, and then, of course, you know, the targeted approach is also huge for us. That was Anna Lay, founder of Vita Glow, which you can find on Instagram at Vita underscore Glow. To read more, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. 
If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. The Glow Journal podcast would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced. We pay our respects to elders past and present.